Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the podcast for cosmetic, wellness, and business insider knowledge. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, a cosmetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, David Segal, an entrepreneur and a multi-clinic owner in the aesthetic space. We'll cover any topic that makes you look or feel good with long form, unbiased, and unfiltered conversations with expert guests from around the world. New episodes are released every Friday and you can subscribe for free on your favorite podcast app, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure, and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. Mr. Moini, welcome back. It's been, a, it's been a minute since we had you here on episode 112 when we were talking about cosmetic recruitment. That's right. We are officially less than one week now out from coming back from the lockdown and you're, you are opening a new business. That's right. That's tell right. us, well, tell us all about it. Well, hold on. I, I firstly want to ask, why didn't you tell us you were building a clinic when you were here last? Yes. You kept that up your sleeve. Well, uh, I didn't want to show all my cards straight away. Um, you know, it was it was a it was a space that was developing in the background, and um, I wasn't really sure if it was going to take off. And um, yeah, look, we got really lucky in finding a site and just lining up injectors, and we had a great concept. Um, and I just figured the timing was perfect to open up a clinic, and I still believe that today. <laughs> Amazing. So I guess the topic of today is sort of how to plan and build a clinic. It's kind of a a different one, but it's one that you know injectors will certainly have in the back of their mind, even if they're they're working for someone you know currently. I, I certainly had discussions with you, David, about, you know, how would you do it? How would you go about it? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Tell us what you've been doing in this crazy lockdown. <laughs> well, I've been actually quite lucky that I've had extra time to work on the back the back end of the business. So usually when people launch, you know, it's really just a minimum viable product where, you know, they've got some um, rooms in the clinic, they've got stock, they've got staff. Um, it's quite bare bones. So what's been really good to work on is just everything in the background from setting up proper systems and processes, uh, being able to spend more time in decorating the clinic, which, was, which has been really, really good. Uh, we've had extra time to train our staff as well, which is made me feel a lot more comfortable so that when when we relaunch we can just hit the ground running um, but more importantly it just allowed us to get our name out there a lot more so just mm. building up some reservations before we build up which is always incredible for a new business when you know there's a lot of uncertainty so just having more certainty has just been a great advantage that we've had over the past few months now for anyone that um i guess doesn't know um who you are your background where, where you've come from maybe let's just give people like a little bit of a reintroduction in, into who you are. And I'd also be interested to take a, like a step back in terms of where did the idea of the business come from? I mean, we're in an industry now where it's pretty heavily saturated, particularly in certain segments of the market. Um, and it looks like you're looking to enter that segment of the market to some, to some respects. So I'd just be keen to find out the thought process, where you're sort of positioning the business, and then just a little bit about Yes. You. So Dave, to uh, answer your first question, um, you know, I'm Kian Moini. Um, um, my father started Laser Clinics Australia back in um, the mid 2000s. Um, he ended up selling that to um, KKR in 2017 for about 650 million dollars, which was good. Um, good, <laughs> just good. Oh, it, it, was, it was million, not billion. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so just good. Um, and to answer the second part of your question, um, my thought process behind starting um, these clinics was I really saw that there was a gap for premium injector-led and injector-owned businesses 
at a mid-tier price point that specialize in cosmetic injectables and plastic surgery. So that's the exact space that I intend on um, targeting. So there's no laser in the business. There's really no skin. So we're just about doing those one or two things and doing them really well. And that's the niche that we um, expect to stay, stay with. So I, I guess where um, what we've seen over the past 10 years or so was this domination of chain clinics in Australia. So uh, the biggest clinics that I've seen are Laser Clinics Australia, Silk, um, Laser, and there's also a couple of other chains around um, in Australia and a couple of New- in New Zealand. And as far as I'm concerned, boys, I mean, Australia is a very unique country in that we're one of the only places in the world with chain clinics right now. I'm sure there are some propping up in the UK, Jake, and mm. maybe a couple in the United States. But um, Australia is this very interesting market where the regulations bet- between states are relatively um, similar. So it's just been a, it's, it's been a lot easier to foster that kind of environment here. So after the chain clinics have really started to dominate, what, what we've found is they're less able to defend their um, their income streams in cosmetic injectables. And with the advancement of things such as fresh clinics and injectors not really wanting to be tied tied down to really big contracts and them finding out that, well, I can actually do most of these treatments myself. I'll go out on my own and do it. Um, they've actually just gone out on their own. They're making great money and they're learning a lot, which is fantastic. But the chain clinics are really um, losing their way in a lot of that stuff. So that's really where QTOX comes in. So we partner with injectors to, to grow the pie for everyone. Yeah, we, we touched on your last podcast. I think you sort of gave us a walkthrough of your sort of uh, take on on the injectable market and you think that the pie is just going to grow and grow and, you know, there's enough room for everyone. But I think for the average customer, you know, walking through Westfield, which is, I believe, where you're going to be opening. Yeah, Westfield one day, Which is right. a, a big shopping mall. Um, it feels really saturated. It feels like there's lots of options and... I just wanted to sort of pin you down on why do you think that, you know, opening a clinic when you've already got these clinics around is the right time? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Particularly well, after lockdown yeah. and COVID and everything else. <laughs> well, I guess there's really two questions inside there. I mean, when you're opening up a food business, you don't look at all the food businesses in the world and say, well, that's enough. You know, there's only so many stomachs I can serve. That's it. You know, when it's the same with clothing brands and what's really interesting about you know humans is we always just want to innovate. We always want to push forward, and we want to we want to be able to raise the standard in the industry. And that's exactly what QTOX is trying to do. So it wouldn't bother me if there were fifty clinics within within Westfield Bondi Junction. It wouldn't bother me if there were one. It'd probably be better if there were only one. Um, but certainly, it doesn't bother me. If anything, I I I make the comparison of you know restaurants. You know, if there's a street with only one restaurant on it. Nobody goes. When there's 50 restaurants, suddenly you've opened up the whole thing. Everybody's coming, uh, coming, and it's pumping. I mean, Dave, only 10 years ago, what was the penetration rate of um, cosmetic injectables? It was. Oh. oh well, it's still still sub 10, percent and it's I think we've 9% still now. yeah yeah nine percent so, according to Tioxane. So, yeah yeah. So we've seen huge growth in the last 10 years. I don't know what it was 10 years ago. It was probably closer to 5%. It seems like it's almost doubled or if not more than what it was 10 years ago. But, you know, maybe Jake knows the number, but it would seem no, something along I, those I mean, lines. I'll, I'll take that number from Tioxane because I don't yeah. think anyone's done a recent study. Tioxane did a, a really interesting study um, recently. Well, I think it was called their Consumer Report. And before that, there was the Allegan 360 report. Mm. And I think Tioxane threw the number of about 9% out there. And um, I was just reading online on one of those um, 
those, uh, not a forum, but just websites where you can download reports from like what's going to happen in the market from, you know, 2011 to 2028. And um, in that report, it said that by 2028, the market's going to double again. So that was Asia Pacific, wasn't it? I think I've seen. The I same believe. Study. I believe so. Yeah. I believe so. So there's which just, includes us, of course. Yeah, exactly right. So there's just enormous room um, for for growth. So um, I think it's really good when you have more injectors who are injecting because you know they're going to talk to more of their friends and their family about cosmetic injectables, and inevitably more people will get them. Can I ask um, why you chose? a shopping mall and maybe talk to us about your your hunt for a location. I'm just, yeah. you, know, you know, we always think location, location, location when we're looking for a house. So what were your sort of, um, you know, key things that you were not willing to compromise on? Yeah, so I look for um, very high quality businesses. Um, so what I would describe as, you know, simple, predictable, free cash flow generative dominant businesses. Um, and I guess what business quality means for me is the ability to acquire customers at a low at a low cost and for them to be spending a lot of money. Now, for them to be spending a lot of money, you know, that really doesn't change, you know, whether, you know, you're injecting out of a garage or whether you're injecting in a medical practice or whether you're injecting injecting in a Westfield. Largely, it doesn't change too much. Customer acquisition cost is, you know, really a function of where your location is, you know, are you on the street, you know, are you in a medical clinic, are you um, in a Westfield, you know, where are you advertising, is it the S- is it SEO, is it socials, is it just word of mouth, is it other things, you know, how do you keep customers? So customer acquisition cost was really, really important to me. And I said, well, if I'm going to advertise on Instagram, I have to compete with this many clinics. Mm-hmm. If I'm inside a Westfield, I'm competing with this many clinics. By the way, he's doing big hand signals and small <laughs> hand signals. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's a lot more defensible income. So what do you it, mean by defensible? It's it's a lot harder for somebody to open up across across from me because there are only so few shops available inside Westfield. So in the Westfield we're inside, um, you know, some of the shops which are around are Gucci, Chanel, Louis Vuitton, Apple. So I want to be, be able to buy in with companies like that who are a lot smarter than I am, who have done a lot more research than me, where there's already customers coming to, you know, to go to Woolworths, to go to these shops anyway. So the defensibility is really a function of other people being able to come into the shopping center and um, the the fact that there are already people coming to the shopping centre, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm curious. I I don't have an answer, but I'd be curious to get your insight. So for people listening maybe in the States or or other countries, being in an injectable clinic in the middle of a shopping mall is probably quite a strange concept, but here in Australia, it's very, very normal. What type of customer do you think that you're going to reach because you you know you're you're counting on people walking by and saying oh that looks like a nice place I might check it out but are they your customer that you know you think you're going to keep and retain well it's it's really funny I, I know Jake if you moved 10 kilometers away didn't tell anybody that you were moving I'm I'm sure somehow all of your all of your patients would find you I, I don't know they're a bit fussy <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you're right you but, know but, they come for the injector normally exactly right so what's really interesting about this space is you know the injectors own the client mm-hmm. um, so what what we were really really focused on was we wanted to partner with injectors who had an established following who already been trained in cosmetic injectables knew the basic could basics could do really good lips, could do really good cheeks, could do really good talks. And obviously they can do other, you know, higher risk areas as well and other procedures such as threads, collagen stimulators, et cetera. Um, but working with people with established client bases was really important, more so to de-risk the business and mm-hmm. make sure that we've got the right people on board. 
um, more so than just saying, hey, let's just hire a bunch of injectors and cross our fingers. Now, walk by traffic will be a really interesting part of this business and certainly one that I'm uh, quite quite looking forward to seeing. But um, Dave, I'm sure in your experience, you know, just working with a lot of the chain clinics, you know, what percentage of those 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 people walking by, you know, uh, what percentage of your customers would have been people just being walk-ins? I would imagine it would have been astronomical. Yeah, that's a good question because it sort of raises a bigger question, which is where are your customers coming from? Which marketing initiative is working? Is it the location of your shop? Is it your social media pages? Is it through word of mouth? Is it through the social media pages of your business or the people that are working for you? There's no silver bullet anymore for any business, I don't think, particularly in this space where it's so dependent on the individual. So you can have a great business, but then who are those? Who are the people that are working within your business? What do they bring to the table? Um, what is their um, level of stickiness that they bring to your business when you say when they bring when they bring customers with them? So I think it, I think you have to be doing everything well. I don't think you can just get away with a great location and a great brand name. I don't think you can get away with just a great injector, but like shit processes and in a bad location, everything needs to be lined up and happen at the right time. Mm. Um, mm. And that's what make, I think what makes businesses so difficult, especially in this, they're so complex now. It's like Coca-Cola, they don't stop advertising, they just constantly hammer you over the head with everything. And they're on TikTok, they're on, <laughs> yeah. they're on Pinterest, they're on Facebook. They're, you know, you can buy a Coca-Cola anywhere in the world. Like, and I, I couldn't agree with you more, there is no silver bullet. So for us, it was really a function of saying, well, you know, what, is, what, are, what are as few steps as possible people need to come and buy with us? Yeah. And by being right in front of our patients, that was the easiest way to do it. So I guess the question that I'd like to ask is when you're looking at all of these businesses, you know, all the chain clinics and you've got your higher end clinics as well, where did you see the opportunity? Because, you know, I think we, you and I have had some, you know, discussions um, even before coming on this podcast about how we're going to, you know, have this discussion and how we're going to formulate it. Um around where are those opportunities? How do you identify where those gaps in the market are? Because I think a lot of those clinics have started to become carbon copies of each other. That's a fantastic question. I mean, yeah, that's a really, really good question. And um, when you look at a clinic, you know, price is only one factor that you will consider when going in there. And that Tioxane consumer report that we were referencing before, that Allegan report that we referenced before, price is not, not the number one factor that people choose in deciding their injector. You know, they will look at before and afters. They will look at their safety record. They will look at what products you use. They will look at your location. They will look for recommendations. All of these things are considerations um, when it um, when it comes to choosing what injector to use and um, where you end up going. Um, so, looking at the market as a whole, you do have the um, the chain clinics, and you and you've got the higher end clinics as well, which only tend to have one, maybe two shops. So. I guess what's quite interesting is the chain clinics really only can compete on price because they're trading, you know, the same beauty therapists, you know, they're trading, you know, the exact same pieces of machinery, more or less. Um, they've got the same service offering. They've really got similar levels of service as well, customer service. So more or less, you know, to the average consumer, they they do look um, mostly the same. Like, uh, if I got 10 of my friends who aren't in the, in the industry, they wouldn't be able to point out, you know, Laser Clinics Australia from Silk Laser, uh, Silk Laser. they just wouldn't know. Um, so I think that's been a massive failing um, of recent times. Now, with the higher end clinics, price is actually quite important. You know, they've priced right up there because you've got them led by doctors and surgeons who have to be, have to be making good money. 
and it just doesn't make sense for them to be competing selling $400 lips. You know, they'll make more money from um, injecting the nose, which is a high risk area and, you know, isn't charged per mil, it's charged per risk. So where we found a gap with Qtox um, is to look right in the middle and say, well, let's not try to compete too much on price. You know, let's just be at a mid-tier, but let's look at the customer journey. What can we do to maximize the, the patient experience to make sure that when they walk out, they were like, that's fantastic. So some of the stuff that we considered were valet parking. So we've actually got valet parking for when we um, when we reopen um, on, in October. For who? Sorry, for, for our, pa- for oh, our right. patients, for yeah, our okay. patients, yeah. Dave and Jake are just looking at becoming patients right now. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Anything for free parking, buddy. <laughs> I want free coffee. I'm not coming. <laughs> we do have free coffee oh, as there well. there we go. So what, what we found was quite interesting was, you know, injectors always run late and we're going to run late when we reopen because it's going to be so hectic. So we thought about, well, rather than saying, look, our injectors are running 10 minutes late, how do you turn that negative into a positive? So we've just gone to the coffee shop around the corner from us, which is quite easy because we're inside of Westfield, to say, well, hey, we'll just buy 100, you know, coffee vouchers off you. We'll prepay for them. We'll hand them out to our patients when we're late. Say, well, here's a free coffee on us. Have it. By the time they go there, pick it up, come back. Our injectors have more than enough time to prepare the rooms, sanitize everything, it's perfect. You know, we looked at the scent of the clinic. You know, every touch point of this clinic has been considered to make sure that when patients and injectors walk in, they're proud to come to QTOX. It's been very, very important. So the clinic looks gorgeous. It's not, it doesn't look like any other clinic that you've ever seen. It looks more like an ASOP shop, which is quite nice. And um, it's also been really good to work with injectors to build these for cosmetic injectables. So everything that we need to access, you know, from Botox to fillers to threads is all done by swipe. All of our photography can be done in a, in a single click of a button. Our software systems all speak to each other. So it makes it a lot easier for injectors and practice managers to work together seamlessly. And for patients as well, it's just been a lot easier. So for me, business quality is really, really important. And considering all those things beyond price has just been um, fantastic. How would you describe your smell? (laughs) (laughs) Is it masculine, feminine? Are we talking about him or the clinic? Uh, Uh, We'll start with the clinic. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, let's start with the clinic. I'm not joking. It's a really... Well, it's a, it's a really interesting thing. There's a, an amazing hotel up in Brisbane called the Calisle. Mm. And every time I go there, I know I'm there because of the smell. It's the most amazing smell. And you can't buy it. It's their own bespoke smell. And it makes you feel like you're on holiday. Or I, I can't describe the feeling, but smell is related to memory. And it invokes all these emotions. So it's a really interesting that most clinics don't do. Well, good news for you, Jake. Well, that'll that'll only be the second most favourite smell that you have <laughs> after coming to Qtox. So um, at Qtox, we've done a very similar thing to um, the Kylo, the Kalile, Kalile. I say the Kalile. The Australians say the Kalile. Is it the Kalile? Was that how you? The Kalile. Kalile. It's okay. very very cool. Hotel. Sounds Hawaiian with a little apostrophe or something. Yeah, That's nice. Check it out. And. Um, yeah, so we actually partnered with a company that just specializes in scents. And I think we um, we went through about 50 cents. You know, I showed them to my friends and uh, said, well, which which one do you like? And seemingly everybody landed on one of them. So it's our own cost, it's our own scent. You know, we own that now. And this is done by the same company that, you know, services a lot of these hotels, you know, Crown, Married, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But smell is so important. I, I know Dave's told this to me before. When you go to anybody in the world and you give them some skincare and they put it on their, their their hand, no matter if they're a dermatologist, no matter if they're a plastic surgeon, a chemist, you know, they all do the same thing. They smell their hand. 
So it's really interesting. Smell is this really, really um, underappreciated asset uh, within um, within the patient journey that just isn't considered. So when you do go to these chain clinics, and I won't mention any names, you know, a lot of the time you're just smelling burnt pubic hair, and it's not <laughs> it's not it's not exactly a pleasing smell. Now, when when I'm getting cosmetic injectables done and I'm lying down on the bed, I want to feel relaxed. I'm spending you know sometimes a couple thousand bucks. So I want to make sure that when I'm inside there, I'm getting looked after. And that's really, really important to me. Uh, so smell is really important. What you see is important. What you touch is really important. Everything that we have is matte. So, you know, to do this stuff is not cheap. Uh, but when you do it, that's how you get yourself up there with those great brands like Apple. That's how you get yourself up there with Chanel, Louis Vuitton. And you think about when you walk into Chanel, you know, it's inside of Westfield in, in Sydney, it is at least. And... Um, that's a very, very interesting aspect because when I speak with injectors, they don't want to be inside of Westfield, but, you know, they're not thinking about, you know, what, what, would, you, what would you do to be next to Chanel? What would you do to be next to Gucci? Uh, all of these brands are just fantastic. Yeah, you, you raise an interesting point around um, a lot of businesses in this industry focusing on the technical side of things, which is, you know, do you have competent injectors tick? Do you have the right product in your clinic tick? Are you following all the right regulations tick? But it's all the other touch points that I think that you sort of raised, which are missed, which is the human experience. How do you feel when you're in there? How does your injector make you feel? What does the space tell you? Is it somewhere where you want to keep coming back to? And it's, it's something that happens, I think, when people who own businesses only focus on money. Mm. And like, let's, let's be honest, we're all here um, in our jobs, whatever our chosen profession is, because we need to provide for our families, for ourselves. So that money is important. Anyone that says money is not important is a liar, right? It is. But when that becomes your your driving force behind everything that you do, every decision that you make is based on money. It can it can sometimes I've seen it before. It can, it can short circuit your business because your decisions then are not based on well, what is the best decision for my business, for my customers, for the people that work within this business. If all I'm focusing on is the money, then you miss the point of why you're in business, which is your business makes money as a byproduct of being successful. And I think that's what we're starting to see now with many businesses in this industry is that the decisions are being made on money in the shortest time possible rather than what are the decisions that I need to make today to ensure that my business exists in the future and that every day I'm trying to improve that business and get an understanding of what it is that my stakeholders want, stakeholders, patients and staff. I think that um, people... I'm trying to think, I'm trying to, when you walk into like a, a Chanel store, it's all, or an, so the better example, everyone, everyone probably at some stage that's listening to this podcast has bought an Apple product at some point, right? Um, everything about their brand is consistent. It's, it, it's high quality. It's an experience, even from their packaging, mm. even from buying something like a simple pair of headphones, the, the, the unwrapping experience has been thought about the paper that's been used, the font that's been used, everything has been thought about. It hasn't just been hap happened by sort of just chance. Everything's been planned out to a point where every single interaction with whether it be one of their stores, one of their products, their website, everything is consistent. It tells the same story and it's an experience. Same thing when you walk into, say, a Chanel store, like when you walk in, the way it smells, the way you're treated by all the people that are there within the store. Um, it's The product itself um, is only a portion 
of the experience. It's everything else going in and, and going through that purchasing experience, the way your products wrap, the way that, as I said, the staff interact with you, you feel special, you feel important. And I think that that's where a lot of businesses in this space have lost what's driving people's emotions and keeping and, and allowing you to retain customers for life is considering beyond just the clinical outcome. Well, if, I, if I can add to that, actually, because this is a question I was going to ask before and I forgot. Um, I think that you're you're onto something with that middle ground of, of the market now. I think the chain clinic experience is fine. There's there's always going to be a, a niche for it, but it's certainly not new and sexy. And, and it's been overdone, as, as we've said on this podcast, a hundred times. But people still have a limit to what they want to spend. So if you can tap into that psyche of making people feel special and wow, and they probably won't be expecting it until they come to your clinic because it sounds quite beautiful and quite different and actually more of a tactile experience rather than just I'm going for some Botox. Mm. So yeah, it'd be interesting. But I, I wonder whether your walk-in patients who maybe haven't heard about you but just sort of walk in are surprised by it. I don't know. Well, the ethos of Qtox was really founded upon the idea of not making it an appointment, making it an experience. So we're more than happy to spend an extra five or 10 minutes with our patients to make sure that when they when they walk out, they feel fantastic. So we take clinical photos. And when I say clinical photos, we don't have an iPad where we're creating a folder on the go. Like we've got a proper photography set up where all of our photos are automatically backed up to a secure server every night automatically. That's very, very important, not only for our patients, but it's really important for our injectors where the biggest point of difference between these injectors apart from service is, you know, what look do they really create? And the best way to showcase that is by proper standardized photography every time. So I look at that as an investment in the same way that a chain clinic looks at a laser as an investment. Um, to touch on a point that you said before, Dave, um, good injecting is you know, it's just a given. Good product is just a given. You know, you're not expecting to go on to a filler appointment and say, I'm really glad they didn't blind me this time. That was that was really, really good. So you really need to consider things beyond that to say, well, what do I need to do not only to retain my patients, but to retain my injectors? And stuff like valet parking and sense is nice, but having enough room to walk around in a clinic is really important. Giving people career progression is really, really important. And that's where plastic surgeries really come in for us because by working with these plastic surgeons, all of our injectors are trained and they're actually able to work with plastic surgeons so that when they're not able to help somebody with fillers because it doesn't align with their aesthetic goals, you know, we can just send them just directly to our plastic surgeon and everything's all sorted, which is quite nice. I'm curious to know how you go from a concept where you just think, oh, that sounds like a great idea to, I don't know, the next plan might be branding and, and sort of location potentially and then and then physically building. Just walk us through the process. So, um, although it looks very simple, you know, it's actually quite hard and there's a lot of steps in between, especially if you're serious about, you know, having several of these um, businesses. So I guess... Where, the first idea, where it first started as an idea was back in December 2019 before coronavirus or Tiger King or, or whatever it is. <laughs> um, so um, the first step for us was really to develop, you know, the concept. So I wanted to know what Qtox was, you know. Were we just doing cosmetic injectables? Were we just doing plastic surgery? You know, were, were we harmonious between the two of them? Was it was there laser? Was there skin? Were there other ancillary services? What's the structure of the business? You know, they injector-owned or they just injector-led? You know, do we want to be in shopping centers? So you want to really answer all of those questions before you're even considering, you know, what your brand colors are or, you know, what level of insurance you have or, you know, what your location is going to be. So it honestly took me 
18 months before um, from from where I from where I thought of the idea to where we laid our first brick. It was a very, very long journey. And the reason that we took so long was because when you're spending a couple hundred thousand dollars, you don't want to get that wrong. You, there's no need to rush into it. And I had a job. I was working in finance down in Melbourne. You know, I was earning money down there. So I wasn't really in a rush. Now, this little niche of, you know, mid, um, mid-tier mid clinics hasn't really been tapped into yet. So it's it's quite interesting to see the space develop because, you know, the higher end is really being targeted quite a bit and the lower end as well. There's a lot of expansion there, but the mid-tier just hasn't really been targeted so well yet. So it, it does take a long time to get that stuff right, but I don't think that there's any need to rush and you can really just take your time to make sure you're developing it all um, in order. And did, did the two lockdowns we've had now, do you think that helped or hindered you or a bit of both? Um, that's a really good question. I think the most recent lockdown has really helped me uh, quite a bit because it's allowed me to work on the back end of the business and just tighten a lot of things up that otherwise we would have launched with without considering. So some of the stuff that we're doing now that we've set up during lockdown was all of our um, reviews for Botox are all digital. Now you can come into the clinic if you'd like to do it, but it's all been set up digitally. Um, injectors can all handle it by themselves and all of our software systems talk to each other, which is quite nice. We've had more of an opportunity to work on some of the niceties of the business. So we've got a, um, a book that we have that we've developed with our plastic surgeon. Uh, we've had more time to do training and you know just become more cohesive as a team because we're actually quite young as a team all working together, which is nice. Um, it's actually been quite good to tighten up our policies and procedures, all of us to get into inside the software system and use it. So I'm sure when we reopen, because you know we're booked out on our first day, we can just hit the ground running uh, without any without too many stresses. I hope. <laughs> and um, the the first lockdown, um, I think that helped me quite a bit because I could work on the concept of the business quite a bit. Um, and while I was still doing, um, working in finance, you know, I could kind of spend, you know, 30 minutes here or 30 minutes there to make some phone calls to the designer and say, yeah, this isn't so good. Maybe change this, run it by my friends because they weren't really doing much either. You know, that first lockdown mm. still feels so, <laughs> uh, quite special. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so you've, you've come up with a concept. You, you've sort of worked out where there's a gap in the market. You're going to exploit that. And then how do you sort of go about from something that's a sort of a conceptual phase only and then produce a physical clinic? So maybe just take us through that process around planning, you know, you've got your website. So you've got all the other stuff in the background, but in terms of just the actual build itself, how do you go from an idea to having like something that you can just walk into? Yeah, so that's a really good question. I think with Westfield, it actually became a lot easier because they really did plan a lot of the steps with us as we went along. So I think the first step that we had after selecting a site was we went to our architect who had done a lot of the initial, um, you know, renders for us of what QTOX would look like. And we'd say, look, this is the shop we have. Um, we need to amend the floor plan to, to suit the, uh, the new space. So, you know, our original floor plan was based on a square and this shop is a little bit obtuse and, you know, not exactly a nice shape. So we had to work with that quite a bit. Um, then, you know, we'd have to create renders based on the exact site that we had. So we already had a really good idea of where we wanted to end up, which was which made it a lot easier. Mm. Then we developed all of these um, building plans around it. So we had to know exactly how wide and how tall every piece of joinery was going to be, you know, how we're going to run the plumbing in the business, you know, where are the core holes to hook up you know, one pipe to all the other pipes. We wanted to know how how electricity was going to be powered throughout the entire clinic. So by doing that from scratch, I had complete control. So developing really, really good building plans 
was just critical to making sure that our build went smoothly. Now, before you can even do any of that, you need to get approvals from councils. You need to make sure that your builder has access to all of the materials. You have to make sure they're all in stock. Um, then you've got to make sure that you do have builders who are competent <laughs> and um, follow orders on time, which you know we had no problem with. Our, our company was fantastic and we would work, work with them before in some previous businesses, which was quite nice. Um, so making sure that you surround yourself with people who have done this before and who are better better than you and have um, we've got that experience was just made it so easy. So, Did you have any logistical hurdles that, you know, you wanted to include but you just had to sacrifice because of the shape or the shell of, of what you were given? Um, not, not really. I mean, I, I think it would have been nicer... Um, if we didn't have two giant columns at the front of the shop. <laughs> but, um, um, yeah. but we've done a really good job in adjusting them. But um, I guess what's um, what's really fascinating was we just had these two giant columns which are structural and Westfield just said, oh, yeah, those are there as well, which <laughs> they sprung on us. Where, where um, are you in Westfield? I know Westfield yeah, so Bondi. We're level five in Westfield Bondi Junction. We're above Gucci and um, Uniqlo and, um, and Louis Vuitton, okay. um, which is quite nice. Um, we're... With where a lot of the mum section is, so we're close to Seed and a couple of nail salons, which is quite nice. Joe Bailey hair, hair salon, so mm-hmm. you know, very very premium real estate. The columns were, um, were they weren't exactly nice, but I think we've done a really good job of working around them because we've been able to curve the shop front, which makes it look a lot more warm and inviting when you come in. Yeah, which is nice. But I would have made that waiting section a lot a lot bigger if I could have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how big how big is the site actually? Uh, the site's only 45 square meters wow, in total. which is tiny. It, it sounds tiny, but I think we've done an incredible job with the space. So it's really interesting. So our rooms are modular, um, which just hasn't been done inside clinics before. So rather than having, you know, three really, really small rooms, we've just tried to maximize the space inside those rooms. And if we ever want to, I don't know, boys, do a podcast together <laughs> um, inside the clinic, we can just open up. We can open up all all of the rooms. So we've got one giant room for events, um, for mm. inviting people out for training, which is really, really nice. It's quite chic. We've used curtains everywhere. So that soft touch feel, which we described before, is consistent everywhere you go throughout the clinic. So even though 45 square meters feel small, we don't have lasers, so we don't need to adjust the air conditioning. We don't have machinery sitting around uh, on the floor. We don't have 1,200 different devices. It's a very, very simple business, and that goes back to the business quality, just making sure it's easy to understand and everybody who's inside there has enough space to work. You know, that was very, very important. It's interesting that you're talking about almost becoming, I know there's certain conditions around using the word specialist, but a specialty type of business where you're focusing on a a finite number of procedures and treatments because it feels like a lot of clinics are trying to be everything to everybody. I don't even think they know who they are anymore. You know, are they doing injectables? I mean, which has become its own, you know, very unique, you know, sort of niche. Um, And it's just, it it seems like these models are becoming um, very convoluted and complicated and they've sort of lost their way. But one of the challenges that a lot of businesses in this this space are chasing or, sorry, encountering at the moment is having good quality injectors working in their business. So how did you, how did you sort of, you know, so I guess we've spoken about the concept, we've spoken about the build, you know, now the people, right? And maybe the people should have come first, but 
we'll get we'll get into that now. How did you find the right people, especially injectors? Well, I'm very very lucky that um, the people I'm working with are fantastic, and they've been nothing short of great throughout the whole lockdown period, and they've been very very supportive even before lockdown. So you know we all had the opportunity to meet each other before lockdown, and I knew a lot of these people coming in, which was good. So it was quite easy to assemble you know a majority of the teams. No, I didn't know everybody uh, coming in, which was which created a lot of challenges, and I hope to meet more people as as I go along. And I had the pleasure of meeting lots of people along the way who just weren't able to join us for one reason or another. Um, finding the right people is perhaps the most important part of the business. You know, like it doesn't matter how nice your build is. It doesn't matter how low your prices are. If you're not going to reputable, reputable people with incredible service um, who also know what they're doing and that you admire, I just don't think you're going to return. So, I mean, the easiest check that I have is making sure that I can sit down and have a coffee with those those people. They're real. They're really easy going. They're open minded. They're e- um. They're easy to work with. And I've I've got great references about all of them. That's really really important. Now um all all of that will be decided once we open. But I've got complete confidence in all of the people who are working at Qtox that they'll do the right thing. Uh, but to find the right people is, is it's not easy. So. We just did a recruitment podcast, just a couple of podcasts ago. What? Where are these injectors from, and and why are they wanting to do something different? Well, it's really funny that you asked that. Most of these injectors that um, that we've recruited have come from chain clinics, and um, they really empathise with a lot of the frustrations that um, I think a lot of uh, that we've voiced here today. You know, they feel like they're working in a McDonald's. You know, they've got. 10 minutes to do talks. You know, there is no clinical photography. You know, they're worried about the medical compliance, about how these medicines are stored and um, and whether they are taking photos of patients on their personal phones, which are, you know, they could leave in a taxi cab when they're drunk one night in the city. That's a medical record that you've just let out into the public. Um, they don't like the idea of competing on price. I mean, you've worked so hard all your life and you've become a better injector over time and suddenly a head office says, well, we're going to discount the price by 30% to bring in more customers. Well, that's not what the data tells me. The data tells me price is important, but it's not the most important thing. Look for things beyond price. But unfortunately, it's like a case of, you know, to the man with only a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. And like, I mean, when all they do is, you know, drop the price and have these big stickers on the front saying Brazilian underarms, $9, two areas, $320. You know, price is important, but I think focusing on things beyond price is really, really, um, is really, really um, imperative to actually establishing a long-term competitive advantage. That's really, really important. And injectors like that because you're thinking about the patient experience, but you're also not devaluing the injector's work. So when um, when people say, well, can you just, can you do, um, can you, compete with Laser Clinics Australia? I'm not trying to compete with Laser Clinics Australia on price. That, that's not my That's not my patient. That's not my target market. I am looking at people who are happy to spend 10 to 15% more and have a much better experience for that price. So it's about value. Yeah. I think if you speak to most injectors who are reasonably experienced or three, four years into their career, they start to kind of reflect on that initial model and think, okay, I've cut my teeth now, I've got my skill, but I can't do this forever because there's more than just price. Mm. There's more than just hundreds of people just wanting, you know, lips and cheeks. There's more to injecting and aesthetics than that. So I think, you know, you have sort of seen the next step, not just for the customer, but the injector as well, which is really important. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe a question for you, Jake, you know, like how would it feel from for someone like yourself, you know, coming in and being told what your prices should be or you deeming them 
not where they should be based on your level of experience in training. I mean, if you think about how long it actually takes to become an injector. So let's say, let's go down the nurse pathway. Um, you've, there's generally two ways in you, either going through an enrolled no, a nurse um, first, which takes a year, and then whether you do some sort of advanced bridging, not bridging, but like an advanced pathway because you've got prior knowledge to become an RN. You might have another two years after that. It's roughly three to four years to become a registered nurse, mm-hmm. roughly. And then you've got to then go and embark on getting your, tra- your training for injectables. Take you probably, what, two years at least to become very competent in the very most basic of procedures to where you've seen most different types of anatomy, you've yeah. dealt with most different types of complications, not just from a delivering the service, but bedside manner, communicating with patients, setting realistic expectations, dealing with shit when it goes wrong. Two years. As a doctor, the pathway is, what, 10 years, roughly, to become a qualified doctor by the time you leave school, go through university, go through medicine, and then come out and be and learn your probably five to 10 years at an absolute minimum yeah. to become an experienced injector. And you're walking into a business that wants to like bastardize your prices down to a point that it's not even, you know, worth you getting out of bed for, or, or not even worth not getting out of bed for, but like it's devaluing all the training and skill that people like yourself have put in. Yeah, it definitely does devalue that. I mean, for me, you know, I worked with you and, yeah. and I worked in that sort of environment. It was a pathway for me you know I was an unknown injector unknown person uh you know I had no following and for me and now you're famous (laughs) I I don't know about famous but you know I've done well but um I think it's a great place to start to get experience and I'm not saying you're using patients as guinea pigs but you know you can keep things simple which is what many of these clinics advertise and do very well at a low price, which is enticing for customers. But at some point as an injector, you want to spread your wings and be like, okay, I've done that. Now I want to go on to sort of do more advanced areas, spend more time with my patients, consult properly, do proper photography, and actually take myself seriously as a professional. What's actually really interesting as well is, um, as I don't think there are many clinics which do this, but you know we're actually partnering with our injectors as well. So these injectors are becoming business owners now. Jake, you know, obviously you're quite a young injector. You've got quite a few years ahead of you, but I mean, playing it out for a lot of these older injectors, they don't have an exit strategy. So you know, it's good they're earning a couple hundred grand now, but you know, we're actually partnering with our injectors so they can pass on their skills to other people and train them. In, in the clinic, which is really, really important. Because the most valuable asset you have as an experienced injector is your ability to teach other people. Mm. So by owning these clinics and having a vested interest in them, you know, it's been a lot easier to recruit these injectors because um, they're able, you know, they're actually incentivized to pass on their knowledge, which has just been really, really good. Yeah. So you've obviously only got the one shop for now, but you, you eventually, I think you alluded to earlier, have plans to open more. But at what point is enough enough? Like what, what is the vision? I mean, I, I, I can't see myself becoming a big chain. I, 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 don't, I don't think there is enough room for, you know, a really, really big chain clinic to be spread, you know, on every street corner and all, all around Australia. Just but the to- money speaks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, joking aside, let's say you open five and they're going really well and then someone goes, you know, a big investor says, hey, we want to take you to, I don't know, Singapore. Uh, this market will work well for our model. That's hard to say no to if they want to pump in 500 million. 
look, if, if, <laughs> if they're offering now and they're listening, you know, I'm more than happy to leave my, my details. But um, uh, look, I, I think what's really interesting about the cosmetic injectable space um, as opposed to the laser hair removal space, uh, well, cosmetic injectables and plastic surgery as opposed to laser hair removal and skin is the catchment area for these injectables are so large. I mean, you must have people visiting you from all over Sydney, you know, to come find you. I know you travel up to Queensland, mm-hmm. you know, to service a lot of your patients as well. So, I mean, it doesn't matter, you know, if you had an extra 15 clinics, would you really be making that much more money? Now, when when you're partnering with the best injectors in Sydney, which is really what my intention is to do, to partner with the best injectors in Sydney, um, yeah, I think it's possible to have maybe eight or 10, you know, that's quite nice. But I, I really can't see myself having more than that, you know, and say metropolitan, metropolitan Sydney, you know. Yeah. We've had people reach out to me in different states already, but I've just said no, because I just want to be able to get one of these right before yeah. I look at scaling any of them. I mean, and for exit plans, you know, I haven't even thought about it. You know, I, I don't really care. You know, I, I'm young. I have passion for this industry. I love what I do. Um, the people I'm working with are fantastic and I really hope to continue continues into the future. And I'm in the very lucky position where I don't need anybody else's money. You know, that's nice, you know. Uh, if people are offering, absolutely. But uh, um, I've got but, a, bit, no. a cheeky question, but yeah. you don't have to answer. But um, obviously you said you're young, you're from a finance background. Do you have a, a sort of a group of investors or how did you fund it? Because, you know, it's not cheap to, to build a clinic and, and brand it and everything else. No, I'm lucky that I've, you know, I've just been saving. You know, I've been working since the age of 12. You know, I was probably Laser Clinics Australia's youngest employee. So... <laughs> <laughs> um, and the youngest Your employee. Your dad paid you. Sorry, I thought that's what I thought. You got a free meal <laughs> for for working. You got paid. What's money? A fr- what's a free meal? Yeah. <laughs> now, I, I I first started working Laser Clinics Australia in 2011. I was getting paid seven dollars an hour, and at, at that time, um, I calculated my uncle, who you know he owned about. Uh, 10 clinics or something, he was earning more in a minute than I was earning in the entire hour or, <laughs> yeah. or something like that. So I've been really lucky that I've been able to save while I was young. And, you know, I've always had investments on the side as well, you know, you know whether it's just been an investment in Vanguard or, you know, just a, a different security that I've owned. You know, mm-hmm. I used Talking to have- shares on the stock market. Yeah, yeah, you yeah shares yeah. on the stock market. And just in Vanguard's an index fund. You know, I used to own a chain of gelato shops around Sydney as well, um, which I was quite, uh, quite lucky to exit out of as um, too. And um, yeah, look, just generally being uh, quite shrewd with um, my finances, and um, yeah, that that was um, that was quite important in order to save. Because you're right, it's not cheap, and to do things well, you don't want to cut corners. And you know, if my injectors want to cut corners, you know, there's more than enough jobs at other, at other places. But um, everybody who works at QTOX knows the standard and the benchmark we're trying to set. So you know, they're they're all very very well versed in what we're trying to achieve. I could just ask uh, one follow-on question. Obviously, we're just coming out of a horrendous 15-week lockdown and Dave and I have spoken on several podcasts about this sort of uh, fear of what's coming next and staff and difficult and people exiting the industry potentially, maybe not injectors, but um, sort of beauty therapists and laser therapists and skin people who see the industry as a bit volatile at the moment. So... Any fears from your side that you're sort of opening at a potentially quite rocky period? <laughs> well, there's really two questions, you know, the volatility and the time period I'm opening up. Volatility does not measure risk to me. You know, I mean, if if the value of this house went down by a million dollars, that's volatile. Would it be a better investment? I would certainly buy it if it were a million dollars cheaper. Uh, I might need a loan, but um, I, I'd certainly buy it. So volatility to me does not measure risk. Now, if you could choose to be born in any time in human history, 
um, and you didn't know what gender you're going to be. Uh, you didn't know what skin color you're going to be. Uh, you didn't know, you know, what ability uh, abilities or special talents you um, you have or you'd be born with. Um, you would not choose 1721. You would not choose 1821. You would not choose um, 1921. You would choose 2021, and you would choose Australia. So I still think this is the single best time to open up a business in the world. And it really doesn't bother me that you know we've had, you know, this pandemic. We we haven't had any problems like this, but we've had other problems, you know, in the last hundred years, we've had, you know, two world wars, we've had two pandemics, we've had, you know, recessions, we've had 9-11, we've had all these terrible issues that have happened. And it's a better place to live. I mean, you boys are living a better life than your your parents and um, your parents lived a better life than their grandparents and your children will live a better life than you. And that's the premise of opening up a business. You expect to do well over the next five or 10 or 20 years. And so I'm not really opening up a business for, you know, this big rush that's going to happen in two weeks or three weeks or for three months or whatever. I, I couldn't care less. Um, I, I just look over the long term how we'll succeed. You raise an interesting point about life being better now than what it was 100 <laughs> years ago. I mean, obviously, you know, in some ways, yes. I think in some ways people might have valid arguments as to, you know, what the focus and meaning of life is now <laughs> and how much more complicated and what, our, what is expected of us as people living in, in today's world. But that's a discussion for a separate podcast. But um, inside, uh, yeah, inside philosophy, out, outside aesthetics. Yeah, well, let's do that. Um, but obviously, you've got come up with quite a unique, unique model. Um, Thank you. A lot of similarities, but enough unique differences, I, th I think, to do well. Obviously, um, you're moving into quite an, an aggressive and competitive space. Um, so I'm assuming um, your expectation is that there is going to be some sort of response from competitors. Um, whether they're looking to emulate or copy what you're doing. So how are you how are you planning to stay ahead of the curve? Because these people are going to see what you've done. If it's successful, they're going to try and emulate you. And then, you know, you start to lose your competitive advantage. So how are you planning to, to keep, keep one step ahead? You wait for every clinic to have their own smell now. It's going to happen overnight. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I've, I've, it, it doesn't. It doesn't bother me. Um, to answer the second part of your question, how do you stay ahead of the curve? You know, technology is really interesting in the in the fact that you know if you go to a fair and you stand on your tippy toes, you suddenly have a better view of the fair of anybody else. But it's quite interesting with technology that everybody ends up standing on their tippy toes and, you know, all that's changed is, you know, everyone's uncomfortable on their tippy toes now. So um, to stay ahead of the curve, you know, requires you to, to be in the business. You know, you can't manage this from spreadsheets. This is not the kind of business where you can sit at home and, you know, be on Excel and say, well, you know, if I just hire, you know, more people to produce more cookies and, you know, cut out this cost, you know, I'll make more money. This, if that's the industry you're, you're looking to be in, this the, the aesthetics industry is just not for you. So I think in staying ahead of our competitors, the, the point I made before of, you know, not just being concerned about price is really, really important. So we've looked to, to create um, endurable, long-term competitive advantages, which are hard to replicate. So one thing that we're doing, which is quite interesting that uh, I'm not sure if you boys have seen seen anywhere else is, you know, we're, we're doing memberships at QTOC. So you pay $15 a week and you get unlimited LEDs and you receive $16.50 to spend on any one of QTOC's services, whether it's skincare, uh, whatever it is. If you just want to, you know, give us $16.50 a week and I can buy a coffee, that's fine. Um, and you can cancel any time. Plastic surgery as well is also quite 
it, you know, this is not a machine that you can buy from a distributor for $200,000 and suddenly start selling plastic surgery. No, it's attention to reputation. It's a lot of training. It is hard work. And it's something that you real, um, that you, you just can't start selling tomorrow. So explain what you're going to be offering exactly. So you have consults and send them off to a reputable plastic surgeon. Um, so what, what, we, what we have found is a lot of the time injectors aren't able to achieve the goals of patients purely with fillers or threads, or collagen stimulators, PRP, et cetera. Yeah. So what we've done is we've partnered with a range of local plastic surgeons um, who we go to and say, well, look, you know, you've got bags under your eyes. They're too, they're too big. You need a blepharoplasty. We'll just do a high level, you know, frequently asked questions for these um, patients. And, um, you know, we'll take some photos. We'll get the medical history. We just say, look, just go to the plastic surgeon. But we really just care about making sure our patients get the best experience possible. And part of that is, is the ability to say no, um, because fillers can't do everything. You know, I'd like to believe they are a miracle, um, but they're not. Um, so some, sometimes, you know, you've just got to look at your aesthetic goals and say, well, look, this is not something that I can do. So rather than turning people away, like, like we said before with coffee, when people are running late, we say, well, here's something that we can do for you. And that's been really, really mm. important. Yeah, I think that's, um, I mean, I've spoken to a lot of injectors about their frustrations with, you know, not having the ability to deal with certain questions that come up or limitations with what their products and services can provide. So I guess, and sorry, so there's a question in here as well coming, so let's we'll get this sort of <laughs> sort out of my head. I think it sounds like a great idea to have a team of people that are affiliated with the business that then your injectors can say, yes, I can refer you to, you know, Dr. XYZ. I know their work. I know they're reputable. I send a lot of my patients to them. Um, and that's like a nice, ability. Like, I mean, I'm probably Jake can talk to this as well. I'm sure, you know, every, every week you're getting a handful of patients that just have skin that's too far gone or an, an outcome that is just not achievable. Send them to Qtox. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just not achievable. But who's, who's doing these consults for you? And I mean, is it the nurses that are doing it? Yeah, so the... The injectors are actually doing, um, uh, having these talks with our patients because the injectors have the relationship with the patients. So, you know, when, when, when they're in the room doing a clinical assessment, the injector is the single best person at that point to say whether they can or cannot treat um, a patient. So at that point, that's where we decide, you know, what procedure or range of procedures will be appropriate for that patient today and going forward and when they're, when, uh, when they're needed, you know, at what, co at what cost the patient is willing to accept um, these treatments and then whether we end up to sending them, uh, whether we do end up sending them to our plastic surgeon or not. You know, we're not looking for a very, very high volume of patients where we send 30 of them to a plastic surgeon every week. It's very much so about the fact that we, fillers and threads and tox alone are not enough to fulfill everybody's aesthetic goals. And a cosmetic injector is the single best person to speak to about plastic surgery because they see such a high volume of patients compared to a plastic surgeon. So that when people are getting their tox done, we find a question that comes up all the time. And Jake, I wouldn't be surprised if you've heard this yourself. You know, where's the best place to get my, uh, you know, my boobs done? Or, you know, who do you trust as a rhinoplasty surgeon? 
Yeah, that's the beauty of me aligning with a plastic surgeon. I work in a plastic yeah. surgeon's clinic, so I can easily have that conversation. I don't send many patients to to the plastic surgeons, and sometimes I won't send to that plastic surgeon. As a result of this podcast, I've built a network of local, you know, surgeons who I can count upon and send for noses or ears or mummy makeovers or whatever. But um, it's important to have that knowledge, and it's definitely important for injectors to recognise their limits. But it's often frustrates patients, I think, if you just say, sorry, can't help you, but I don't know where to send you. So now you've linked up that sort of big friction point sometimes where it's an awkward conversation to say to someone, sorry, your face is too far gone. And sorry, uh, I can't help you. You know, it's quite a confronting conversation for for some patients. So if you give them that pathway and say, look, we have, we've actually got someone who's aligned with our clinic. And by the way, we're going to start uh, your journey today. That's it's quite a nice well, uh, thing. Exactly right. And like, I mean, it comes down again to, you know, this problem of how do you recruit high quality injectors? Well, I mean, to be honest, when you're working between chain clinics, they're all the same to me. I, I can't tell the difference between them. And I'm sure you boys are probably in the same boat. I mean, we all know that their names are different and their color, colors are different. But, you know, if you put a blindfold on and, you know, you put them in a lineup, they, they're all the same. They're all the same. So what we wanted to do for our injectors was to offer other touch points beyond higher prices or better commissions or, you know, um, higher wages or, um, you know, what scent we have inside the <laughs> clinic. You know, the scent's nice, but it's not, you know, it's not the silver bullet, you know, and the plastic surgery is really, really interesting to us because, you know, nurses suddenly have this great ability to progress their career in a way that they just wouldn't regularly be able to access unless they were working out of a plastic surgery clinic. But at, with this, they can still focus on what they love, cosmetic injectables. And I just think that we're the only people who are doing this right now. And I, look, if other people want to start doing it, I say go ahead because, you know, plastic surgeons have to study a lot and, you know, reputation is a very important thing to them. So, you know, it's not just something that you can, you know, sign up to tomorrow. I mean, it's it's a relationship that has to be cultivated and developed over a long period of time and not everything's going to be perfect um, from day one and it's okay to make mistakes, but it's unacceptable to not learn from those mistakes. So you're opening next Monday, I'm guessing, yes, like everyone are. else yes, or we are. most people. What's... Uh, I guess your position is slightly different because you're you're completely new. You don't have an established clientele yet. But do you think you're going to sort of join this tidal wave of, you know, massive demand, or what? You know, what's your experience over the lockdown? Well, the, from from when I was speaking with a lot of my friends back uh, when they reopened in June, and I'm sure you two boys can um, empathise with this quite a bit. You know, it was chaos last yeah. year. Okay, I can still see the scars in Dave's eyes. <laughs> David just sighed. <laughs> um, it was chaos. And, um, I had someone at Allegan tell me that they sold, you know, more product then than they ever had before in that month, which is fantastic not only for the pharma companies or for the consumable companies or, um, you know, the injectors. Or, you know, it's, it's wonderful. So uh, what am I expecting when we reopen? Look, we're, we're booked out on, on a few days already, which is, you know, just it feels incredible. It warms my heart more so than anything when you're starting a new business and you're booked out uh, some days in advance, which is good. And nothing makes an injector happier than to look at their diary and say, wow, I'm packed out. <laughs> Especially, you know, in a new clinic, it, it gives them confidence, I think. Uh, you know, I've had 
you know, when, when I joined David, when I first met David, it's one of the things that comes up regularly with a new business owner and their injector is, what's my diary like? And well, well, how can we drum up more business? I, I know, Jake, you're, you know, you, you told me earlier you're extending the hours you're working to really uh, service your patients. And, you know, I'm sure you'll be working a lot harder for the initial few months. But the funny thing is a lot of people do not want to wait for their tox or their filler. You know, no. it's like doing your hair, it's like doing your nails and people want that straight away. So what I'm anticipating is there's going to be this big rush of patients, but clinics won't have the capacity to service them. Tell us a bit about the the joint ownership strategy with with your injector. What does that look like? Yeah, so um, part of what Laser Clinics um, Laser Clinic Australia's success, you know, I attribute to it. Um, I attribute to it at least. And um, Dave, maybe um, you have lots of comments on this as well. Was the fifty-fifty JV where um, my dad owned fifty percent of every one of the clinics, and then there had somebody else who had bought into the clinic for the other fifty percent. And that person who was working inside the business was responsible for you know most of the day-to-day operation, and then uh, the other fifty percent shareholder, my dad, you know, was responsible for a lot of the marketing, you know, the administrative work, you know the finances, all of the boring stuff. You know, for me, it's not boring. I love it. But, um, you know, for injectors, you know, they've worked so hard and they're really good at injecting, but they're not so great at, you know, marketing or yeah. they're not so great at growing an Instagram following or, um, you know, or looking at financial accounts and analyzing them or saying, you know, what can I do to get a top-down view of my business? So we really want to partner with injectors to make sure that not only are they making more money, but that they have fewer headaches and fewer risks associated with that extra stream of income. Right. So it's like a, so it's like a fifty-fifty. It's a fifty-fifty. Yeah. Right. All, of, all of them will be fifty-fifty, and, and you know that's really important because both of our incentives are aligned to making money, and we want to make money from good businesses, not good fees. So what are the, what are the challenges that you foresee in your sort of first hundred days of opening? And that's you know that's sort of like always a tough period, right? Is that initial ramp up and you know, you've sort of put all these plans together and you, you sort of tested things to a certain degree, but it's not until you've actually got the phones ringing, customers <laughs> in treatment chairs, <laughs> clinicians, you know, doing their thing and, you know, running this thing at, at sort of full tilt, you start to find weaknesses in the system when stuff goes wrong. So what, what are you sort of anticipating in your first 100 uh, days? The first thing I'm anticipating is I will be drinking a lot of coffee and I won't be sleeping much. <laughs> Right. I, I, I will be at the I will be at the clinic. Lucky you've got free coffee in a meditation chamber. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, um, because I've had eighteen months plus a lockdown, you know, the world's longest lockdown to to plan for QTOX, um, it's it's been really good that I've just been able to poke holes at it every day, and I I've been you know, in the clinic, you know, for, you know, three, four days out of seven most of the time during lockdown, just because I like working from there, you know, I just, you know, I've been in every room, you know, to try all the different monitors to make sure the computers all work and I'm just working from them on a day-to-day basis. So um, I, I, I anticipate overall it'll be quite smooth, but, you know, something's going to go wrong oh, yeah. for sure. You know, we won't have stocked up on a certain consumable or, you know, somebody's going to call in sick on a certain day. You know, it always happens inevitably or someone's going to put fish in the microwave, which is a big no-no, <laughs> big, big no-no. Luckily, we have a custom sense. Um, um, so 
you you can't prepare for these problems um, to the perfect ability. But what you try to do is you try to hand, um, you try to hire people who are you know who who use common sense, you know, who are better than you in a lot of ways, um, who help support you in ways that you know you can't anticipate. And you know, I'm lucky that I have experience in you know managing clinics, and um, my practice manager has experience in that as well, and my injectors have experience within chain clinics and working for themselves and um, higher end clinics as well. So we've seen this full spectrum of what can go wrong, you know, barring anyone, you know, becoming blind. Um, so I feel as though any problems that are thrown at us, uh, we should be able to handle with relative ease with the, to the same degree as many other clinics. Um, what will be interesting to see will be the biggest challenge of acquiring patients, which is the biggest problem, you know, any clinic has. But, you know, we've tried to de-risk that as much as possible. And, you know, we're booked out on quite a few days now. And, you know, we've got bookings, you know, you know, well into 2022 now, which is actually a really big accomplishment, which I wasn't expecting. Um, so, you know, we, we're, we're picking up the pace, we're getting there. Um, so, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what problems arise. Big question. Will you be using TikTok? <laughs> <laughs> to market yourself. Absolutely. We will be using TikTok. Now, joking aside, do you yeah. have a strategy for, for you know, a constant social media feed or are you going to see how it works as you open and see what your injector's personality is and so on? You need to have a plan when you go in. You need to have a plan when you go into anything. You know, you know social media is a business in itself. Um, um, like... And you know, part of part of my my plan is to be on a podcast. Um, so tick that one off the box. <laughs> um, so I, I think I think Dave mentioned it before. There is no silver bullet. There is no silver bullet. You know, I've I've done a lot of analysis on Facebook with ads to work out. You know, where our target market is. You know, we're performing a lot better with twenty uh, five year olds to you know fifty five year olds than we are with eighteen to twenty uh, to twenty four year olds. So you know. That's what you want, by the way. The uh, yeah, it, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> I mean, but what's really interesting is TikTok is quite popular with you know people who are under the age of twenty four. So you know, you start asking all of these questions. Now, there's a lot of surgeons you know around Australia and around the world who are on TikTok who are absolutely killing it, which is fantastic. But you know, how much does that translate into in terms of cash? You know, and that's very hard to measure. Mm. Um, but I just think it's really important for us to be on TikTok and for us to be on Instagram and Facebook and Pinterest and within Westfield, which is also, you know, it's, it, it is a form of advertising. Um, and it's really important for us to try to hit everything. And, you know, you have to have concurrent strategies with each different social media platform. Um, so, yeah, we'll be, um, I, I definitely think you should follow QTOX underscore AU on Instagram and follow us <laughs> and see how it's all going to go. I think it, I think you'll all be pleasantly surprised. W will you be employing a social media manager or are you, are you behind that as well? You're pulling, um, pulling the strings. I really look at social media as a pipeline of, you know, six jobs to do. So it's, it's not just, you know, film it and post it. You know, there's a lot that goes on in between. I don't have to tell you boys, you know, it's the same with your podcast. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I look at it as a strategy, what posts it inside that strategy, who writes the scripts, um, who films it, uh, what copy do you have, who schedules it. So yeah, we'll be outsourcing things that we can, but um, overall we'd like to um, retain things that we think that we're more competent at um, than social media managers. Yeah. It's a good point. Yeah people are looking for options to get the headache of social media taken away. But inevitably, and Jake and I have experienced this and anyone that's listening that's worked with us on social media, this is not, <laughs> this is not, this is not a personal thing. But no one, no one can explain your business or your brand 
better than you or understands it better than you. And I think that when people take that completely hands-off approach where they just want to outsource it to someone else. It becomes vanilla and rubbish, let's be honest. Yeah, well, you just feel like, you know, it's never really quite hit the mark or what you wanted. So it's a difficult one because, like, I'm not a marketing expert. You know, Jake's probably much better at it than me, but handing that over to someone else is kind of is kind of difficult. It's almost like you need to be the person that oversees the direction and the tone of voice. I mean, if I look at your brand at a high level, it looks like it's cheeky, it's a little bit irreverent, it's um, posh to a certain extent. So there Keon's you go. got a Qtox branded mobile phone cover, a, a by the pink, way. A pink Qtox branded phone case. There How much go. are you selling those for? Can we, get a, can we get a commission if you sell some? We'll, <laughs> we'll plug them here for you. Um, yeah, you feel like when you sort of hand that over, you, something gets lost. So it's almost like, so it sounds like you're looking to retain creative control, but outsource a lot of the mechanical. Well, is, is that right? Or um, I, yeah, I, I, think, I think you've nailed it, Dave. Um, I think like, you know, we don't do our accounting in-house I can do it in-house. You know, I, I understand how to do it. I know how to read a balance sheet. I know how to read a profit and loss statement. You know, I know I know how um, our chart of accounts works really well. And I'm good enough to help manage somebody else to accounting, but that's because it's so, you know, straightforward and, you know, very difficult to, you know, mess up too much, you know, when it's, you're just dealing with numbers. Um, but social media... You're right. You just you've just got to have that tone of voice be consistent with somebody who's inside the shop. You want to have you want to have it consi- You want to know the person who's administering the injectables mm. before you even walk in. And I know these people so that when when our patients do see our injectors, you know they'll already feel like they know them yeah. and they'll know their tone of voice. And it's got, got to be consistent. You know, um, it you know it presents a lot of challenges moving forward um, because you know it's not scalable for me to just be working on social media but that's why you bring other people into the brand to understand this and what's been really good about injectors in general is I think a lot of them are building up their own social medias now and you know people follow them and they actually care and I mean I know I know Jake is very funny on social media. What was that lashes one you did where uh, you, you, you co- he copied a TikTok video? And I'm like, that's hilarious. That's really, really good. And, um, you know, he can send me his resume at any time he wants. So, <laughs> but like, but like it, it's quite, it's, it's interesting that, you know, people are pursuing things outside of injectables now, you know, and people are interested. You know, they want to know what you're doing on the weekend. They want to know who you are, what motivates you. Uh, they want to they um, they want to know, you know, why you got into this industry. What frustrations do you have? Um, you know, what didn't you expect when you came into the industry that you thought would be really good? So, you know, I have, you know, I have answers to all of these questions, but like, I think people really want to get inside the mind of the injector, the psychology of what makes somebody want to inject, because that's how you work out their ethics. And that's how you work out whether you you want to see that person. So yeah, it's, it's very important. And that, that in itself is a form of competitive advantage because it's not like you can just replicate another injector. You know, it's not, it's not that easy. Um, so yeah, you could, you can't just buy another piece of machinery. So that's why, you know, again, I go back to the point of business quality and, you know, I know the value of a good injector. So we want to work with our injectors to make sure that, you know, they feel comfortable and they're achieving, um, they're achieving their goals and they're making more money along the way. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head about building trust rather than, you know, like you said before, the injecting is kind of a given. Yeah. You're going to get good treatment when you come to our clinic, but who is the person behind it and, and, what, and what are they all about? That's what people buy into because that is your brand at the end of the day. Yeah. And, you know, for bigger clinics, they, 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 they're too large and cumbersome to do that. 
they just talk about you know their name but not their injectors mm. for example whereas you've got the opportunity to be yourself and i intend to i intend to keep that moving forward you know it doesn't bother me if i've got one clinic or 15 clinics or 50 clinics and um, you know if we can get if we can grow bigger that's that's wonderful but it's 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 not my intention to you know to just grow really really big and just suddenly start posting you know quotes on social media every day you know what i want to be able to do is i still want people to view us, you know, as you know, a, a group of people working together to administer high-quality injectables at a, at a mid-tier price, and yeah, um, yeah I, I think keeping that personality when you grow big is really hard, and a lot of corporations really lose that as they go big. Um, but some companies are fantastic at it, um, like Koala mattresses, for example. If you saw the campaigns they did, that you know, they got me laughing, and I usually don't laugh at you know advertisements and stuff. The so. mattresses, no doubt, no less. Yeah, I mean, of all, of all things, yeah. of all things. So you know, it's 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 something which is very hard to cultivate, but that comes down to company culture. So you know, yeah. our incentives are not just financial. Our incentives are linked to you know making sure our injectors are pleased and our patients are pleased, and that you know when we grow, if we we're lucky enough to grow, um, you know that we will retain that culture and we'll be able to you know showcase that to the world through social media or whatever the medium ends up being in you know yeah. five, ten, twenty years. Yeah. Um- Completely agree with you in, in, in respect of getting to know their injector. I mean, if you just think about when you're watching a movie, you can have the best plot, the best special effects, but if you don't care about the cut about the uh, the people or the characters in that show, you like you don't you don't you can't connect with them, you can't sort of relate. And you know, that's what they talk about, character development, making people actually like the characters or relate to them or understand them, and then everything else sort of fits in. So, you know, similar parallel with injectables. I mean, you can show great lip treatment after great lip treatment, but if people don't know who you are, they can't relate to you, they don't know what makes you tick, what you stand for, what your ethics are what's interesting about you, what do you do with like all those sort of personal touch points that we're sort of seeking as, as, as human beings. If you don't have that, then you've sort of only got half the recipe. Would you, would you agree, Jake? I mean, yeah, it's a bit like what George Lucas did with episode one of Star Wars. It was all, <laughs> yeah. all sort of bells and whistles, but the characters and the yeah. plot was just terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's, it's true. And, um, yeah, it, look, I, I, I definitely understand the challenge with these chains because running them is not easy. You know, they've got, you know, really big market capitalizations. You know, they're worth hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, you've got hundreds of clinics to manage and hundreds of girls and, you know, landlords and suppliers and, you know, something goes wrong every day inevitably, um, you know, whether you're a big clinic or a small clinic. But cultivating that um, that medium and that, Heartfelt, you know, um, you know, song cry that you have to your um, to your um, patients. That's important, and you know, the moment you lose that, people know if you're not authentic. They know if you're not genuine. You know, it's all good if the girls at front desk are genuine and they really want to help you. But like, if your brand doesn't reflect that on social media, or your web, and sorry, and not all, and your websites, and you know, um, when you walk into the clinic and you look at the build, when you're sitting inside the room, you know, are they selling to you or are they actually trying to help you? You know, are they taking an extra five minutes to take proper photos and sit down with you and say, hey, let's measure twice and cut once? You know, before we just start injecting your lip, you know, do you even need lip, uh, lip injections? If we do your lip, do we need to do your cheeks as well? All of these are considerations that you need to take um, prior to actually administering 
any uh, any cosmetic injectables. Um, it's really, really important that you get a top-down view of every treatment that you do. And it's it's hard to do in times like this because, you know, when, um, when we've got these big rush of patients who want to see you, which is fantastic, we can't lose sight at the, um, at the same time that we've got ethics to, um, to adhere to and we want to make sure that we're doing things in, in the right manner. So I guess final questions. Um, where do you see yourself in five years and where do you see the industry in five years? <laughs> <laughs> oh, where do I see myself in five years? Um, I'd like to say in Mexico on a farm drinking tequila or something, but um, <laughs> um, look, uh, I think a lot of the success um, of QTOX rides on the um, the first few um, first hundred days of opening, um, uh, and you know if we're able to do it, that's fantastic. And um, you know I fully back myself, and I fully back my injectors, and I love the concept that we're chasing. So I think we're in a great position to grow and have more um, more QTOXs around the country. Um, but you know I'm certainly not in a rush. I would rather get it right and scale it correctly because I'm not in a rush uh, to you know make a a lot of money, you know. I just I really care about making sure our product is is right and our injectors feel comfortable and safe, and our patients are walking out happy first. Um, so I, I I feel as though QTOX will grow, and you know I'll be a great part of that journey. And I'm really hoping to tap more into the plastic surgery side of things as well, because I view ourselves as a clinic which is just as strong in cosmetic injectables as we are in plastic surgery. And I think the industry is going to be very very uh, interesting in five years. Um, I think the chain clinics have dominated the space. But the uh, the landscape is certainly shifting. Um, injector fragmentation is becoming a really important part of the industry that I don't think a lot of people are focusing on. Um, you know, I look at you know two platforms in particular that have been extraordinarily disruptive to the cosmetic space. That's Fresh Clinics and um, Instant Scripts, the uh, telehealth medicine. I think what they're doing is incredible because they've given injectors this big platform to go out on their own and you know um, and to um, actually actually um, you know look after patients safely um, and not be at the helm of these big clin- clinics so it creates more challenges for entrepreneurs like me uh, to sit down and say well rather than making it really tough for injectors to stay um, to stay with um, to, to leave what can I do to make them stay so it uh, totally shifts the landscape so it's going to be very interesting to see how the chain clinics uh, survive the assaults um, on their injectors leaving. Now, the other part, you know, which I think will be really interesting, is you know the the basic premise of you know uh, of humans in the aesthetic market. People will get these treatments younger, they will get it older. You know, they'll come in more frequently, they'll spend more money, and they'll try new treatments. That that will inevitably happen. So, the pie will certainly grow, and I wouldn't be surprised if you know the um, you know the penetration rate of um, toxin fillers, you know, just massively jump and um the the last thing i'll probably predict is um i I imagine the price of botox could drop quite a bit i i really see that as being a big thing and i'm not saying i'm a driving force behind that but i think uh with more competition coming in and you know the price of botox not that long ago being twenty dollars twenty five dollars a unit i certainly see it going down you're using the word generic. Do you mean toxin? Sorry, toxin, toxin, right? Yeah, toxin. Okay. Yeah, I think there's a lot more competition coming out. And if you look at uh, America, there's quite a few more brands on the market. In Europe, you know, fillers are you know fifty euros somewhere you go. So, mm. um, I, yeah, I'd, I'd certainly like to see more fillers being sold in Australia as well. Yeah. Well, I know that Jake and I wish you the very best of luck. You're, you're um, you've got some big balls on you starting <laughs> this now at the end of the, of the pandemic in a fairly saturated market. So. 
wishing you all the best. Um, can't wait to have you back in six to 12 months time and you can tell us all the stuff that's gone wrong and all the stuff that's gone right. Um, but for anyone, um, you're gonna, we're going to put all your details at the bottom of, of the uh, podcast Wonderful. description so people who want to get in touch can. I would love to swing by. It would be good to see a new concept and, and see what's new in the industry. So maybe we'll schedule a coffee in yeah. a month or two once the craziness has calmed down for me. Yeah, I'll let my injectors inject you, Jack. <laughs> oh God, I'm scared now. <laughs> That's probably the one thing I won't change. Yeah. You know, once you find your injector, you just you Who just stay yours, with that by person. the way? Oh, I've got two people, but I won't name them. All oh, right, okay. That's beautiful. No, I really appreciate uh, your, your boys' time today and uh, uh, thank you to everyone at home or in your car as well. Thanks, Thanks mate. Thanks See for you, coming. Mate. Bye. For our latest news, upcoming guests and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at Inside Aesthetics Podcast. Using the link in our Instagram profile, you can easily email us, text us, apply to be a guest on the show, follow our personal accounts on Instagram, and even show your love and support us on Patreon. 